Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast. I'm your host, Grace Osborne. Thank you for joining me on this exciting journey. Coming to terms with trauma after experiencing 25 years of narcissistic abuse is comparable to peeling back the layers of an onion. So says Vicky, the founder of and coach at the Survivor Center, an organization she established to help women and occasionally men who have been the victims of prolonged and systematic mistreatment by a narcissist over an extensive period of time. Vicky's empowerment didn't happen overnight. It took her several years to overcome the inability to confront her ex-husband about the controlling and overbearing attitude he displayed towards her. Even when they no longer lived together, Vicky still was unable to prevent him from continuing to push her and their daughter around in the same way as he's always done. She accepted this because she didn't have the will to say no and neither did she feel strong enough to resist and stand up to him. Eventually, Vicky did realize that she did have the power to stand her ground against her ex-husband and set about establishing firm boundaries within her life to protect herself and their daughter. As Vicky describes the situation, she went from being a retiring doormat to a confident boundary queen through a process of discovering her own strength and the ability to stand up to the abuse and aggression that had been heaped upon her. The co-parenting course, which is available through the Survival Center, has been developed by Vicky to encourage single parents to adopt a course of action that can be defined alternatively as parallel parenting. Counter-parenting or co-parenting, whichever definition is preferred. This is a system whereby both parents raise their children individually but with mutual agreement and cooperation. Unfortunately, due to one of the parents, usually the father being an unreconstructed narcissist, this whole process is often fraught with difficulties. It is often the case that the narcissistic parent is not going to relinquish their obsessive narrative just for the sake of their child's well-being and education. They are incapable of forsaking the excessive interest in themselves in order to concentrate on the far more important business of the lives of others. The narcissist loves themselves at the expense of everyone else, particularly those closest to them. So welcome listeners to another insightful episode of Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. My wonderful guest today is Vicky Lean. Welcome, Vicky. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Kindly tell us a bit about yourself and why you decided to start this course. Lots of our <clears throat> reasons, our callings come out of what we've been through, what we've experienced in our life. And for me, coming out of a 25-year relationship and marriage of narcissistic abuse, I was then in the hell on earth that's called co-parenting with your narcissist or with your ex-abuser. And so for the four years that I did that co-parenting, it was a nightmare for myself and my daughter. And by the grace of God, at the end of, that, of those four years, we were granted an order of protection. And also I was granted sole custody. 
And that was a miracle that uh, I could only believe in the very depths of my heart could occur. And then it did. And once I was awarded those two things, I felt free to speak about it and to help, had a heart to help other moms uh, navigate that. So what is narcissistic abuse and narcissistic traits to you? So to me, I like to break it down pretty simply since I'm not a therapist. I'm just a survivor that's coaching uh, other women. And it's really uh, narcissistic abuse would be anyone that is wanting to break down your personhood, anyone that's wanting to bully you. And that would include, uh, you know, adult to adult, so co-parent to co-parent, and also a parent who is narcissistic, they'd want to do the same thing to their child or children. They seek to control. And it's really my, my understanding from my experience is that because the narcissist themselves feels completely out of control and they feel so small and that they have to harm others so that they themselves don't have to like face that part of them. That's the way I describe that. So what are their traits then? So they will demean, not all of them will yell. Some of them could be extremely in control and do things underhandedly. So being passive aggressive, manipulation, lying. <clears throat> and oftentimes you may not know that they're lying because why would you marry someone that you know is a liar until after you figure that out, right? Yeah. Um, gaslighting is another where they will deny your reality or deny that something happened when you know very well that it did. Okay. Thank you for that uh, brief description of who a narcissist is. So that leads me to the next question. How do you co-parent with a narcissist or perpetrator? And the short answer is you don't and you can't. But the courts require you to, right? Because, and I found this to be true, not only in the US, but outside in other countries as well is many court systems, family court systems require that, you know, the father can, it, let's, I'll use the father and I know that there can be narcissist mothers, but I'm gonna use father because of my experience. Okay. So courts will, you know, require that the other parent has equal rights to the children and they often are not educated on abuse or on narcissism or on all of the different ways in which uh, a parent can harm a child, um, other than some of the obvious ones, perhaps like even sexual abuse um, or physical abuse where there's like bruises, scars, Mm -hmm. some kind of outward appearance that there's abuse. And so, uh, you know, the woman, I'll just use my experience, finds herself that she was brave enough to escape the abuse and took her children. And now the court is telling her that she has to then (laughs) work together and co-parent with her abuser. And I I use those terms and I say it that way because I found that if I say narcissist, narcissist, narcissist a lot, it actually loses its meaning when we're talking about co-parenting because a woman does have to face her abuser day in and day out to navigate issues with the kids. Like any, any two parents would have to. In addition, um, often the court does not recognize that these two parents are not just like two parents that are divorcing because they don't get along. They can't get along because the narcissist, the abuser 
doesn't want to get along. He wants to do everything and anything he can to continue the drama and continue the abuse, continue to harm the, the woman or the, the mother and harm the kids in an effort to continue to control because co-parenting is a term that the courts use and we say it so that we understand what we're talking about, but there really is no co-parenting because that requires that each parent cooperates, sometimes gives in, sometimes the other one gives in. And that's not even, if that happens with in a narcissist situation, it's, I always tell the moms that I coach, just chalk that up as a win and just sort of celebrate it in the moment. But the next time that likely will not happen. And so co-parenting really isn't possible. It's more of one of two things. And there's another term called parallel parenting where, you know, you kind of make your own decisions and so does the the dad or the other parent. Um, But again, narcissists don't like this (laughs) because then they're kind of giving up their control. And so then one, the woman might try to parallel parent and the narcissist is trying to get in and, you know, um, counter parent. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So is, exactly. is that, is that a, like a, a sabotage in a way? 100% yes. Yes. Yep. And the woman often is still, and I'll use my example. I was in denial, even though I knew the true colors of my abuser, I left him. It, I, I left him twice. And so the second and final time I knew not to trust him. I knew he couldn't you know, cooperate, yet I still had this hope. And I don't know if part of that is us just being good people. And, you know, we can't imagine not trying to do that, do anything and everything for the interest, the best interest of our kids. And so we hang on and we think that, you know, he's going to pull through and do the right thing. And nine times out of 10, they don't. It's really a difficult situation if you have to analyze um, what you just told me. Yes, it is. It feels impossible. It feels like there's no winning. And honestly, there really isn't a win per se, other than a lot of the work that I do with women in talking about co-parenting with a narcissist is to really work on empowering themselves and their kids to be able to manage the situation. So uh, would you say it's uh, it's a no-go area? It's not a success story, so to speak. Because you just told me that it's not really co-parenting, it's a parallel parenting. So you bring your idea, I bring my idea, and we see how it works. Is that how it works? Yeah, yes and no. A lot of times it's, when I say parallel parenting, it's the mom stops trying to co-parent in the traditional sense, meaning instead of asking the dad in this case, you know, for his opinion about something. Nine times out of 10, unless it's court ordered, she can just make a decision and inform him. Not all the time, but much of the time. Or it's really more of, uh, it's a business transaction rather than it being, uh, you know, place where the mom continues to open herself up to being vulnerable and sharing how she feels and what she thinks is best for the kids. The dad will use that information as a narcissist. He'll use any information about your feelings, your thoughts, your desires, your vulnerabilities and exploit them and hurt you over and over again, or use them on your kids and hurt them. Well, thank you so much for that explanation. It's um, quite insightful. So um, would you say fate, fate plays an important role in the healing process? 
for example, being a Christian or, you know, another faith, do you think it's important to be a faith being to aid the healing process? 100% yes, because there are points in not only your healing from abuse, but also when you're co-parenting <clears throat> to be able to surrender your children to God, because there are only so many things that you can control. It is, it's a pivotal piece. If I didn't have my faith, I don't know how I would have gotten through the darkest of times where it felt like my child was in extreme danger, or just even if you want to just take that down several notches to possibly be more relatable, where your child or your children are being emotionally harmed by their dad or by the other parents, you know, on a daily basis where the dad is trying to make you be out to be the worst person and turn the kids against you. You know, there's, there's lots of tools and techniques and things that you can do to help yourself empower yourself and your kids. And then at the end of the day, there is a level of surrender that, that needs to occur so that it, for me, I always felt, and, and I kept repeating to myself when I would come to the end of my rope, if you will, that, God loved my daughter more than I ever could and that he would take care of her. Okay. Wow. 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 So what are some of the techniques you, you used or strategies? Can I just name a few? Sure. So one of the things that I used, I started to notice that my daughter lacked empathy and especially for me. And that scared me. <laughs> Um, so I started to use, uh, movies and music that we would watch or listen to as teachable moments, not in the way that sounds so, um, uh, traditional, like where I'd stop the movie and talk about it. No, we would just watch the movie. And then afterward, casually, while we we're having dinner, while we were playing, cause she was younger at the time, yeah. I might have a conversation about different characters and what they felt, what they were thinking and what she felt and thought about those different things. And that led to different conversations occurring. And one of them being that then she would open up and make parallels in her own little mind about what she experiences and what was happening on the screen. And we'd have be able to have conversations. And that's like the first thing that I started to do to open it up and to make it something that was age appropriate for her. Yeah. Because one of the things that as as moms in this situation, co-parenting with an abuser is you want to scream from the rooftops, what a wolf in sheep's clothing that he is. And you can't because obviously the kids, especially at a certain age, or maybe, you know, all the way through high school, they will go back and tell the other parent what the other parent said, just because they're just honest and they're innocent and pure. Yeah. And so that was definitely the case with my kids. So I had to do it in a way that was um, strategic. So what do you mean by strategic? Can you break it down, please? Sure. A huge thing that I coach the women uh, that work with me on is understanding that what, how she was abused by her ex is likely what the children are doing, are being, how they're being abused by him as well. Because I always say there's different flavors of narcissists and there are, and I think it's important for the woman to understand how she was abused. What did he use? And then know that he's not going to get creative and change his spots. He's going to do the same thing with the kids. 
And then that's a place of power. So that's like a strategy. So, okay. So I knew mine was a bleeding heart. Woe is me. I'm the victim. I'm the martyr. Feel bad for me. Like that was one of his number one tactics. And so he'll take anything and everything and twist it so that you feel bad, you know, that you know that even if you, he was wrong, that you still apologize. And it, you know, that doesn't make any sense, but that's how they twist things. Right. So that's one of the ways in being strategic is understanding what he says and does, and you know, he will. And so then you're one step ahead when your kid or kids come back from time with him, then you're able to say, okay, Oh, yep. He did this. He said that he, yep, yep, yep. Like you're already ahead of the game and you know, it's coming. You're not, you're not like, you know, uh, in the way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So how do you counter abuse and put it all back in? So how do you sort of like assimilate everything and heal? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. And put it all back in, you know, it's like, how do you, it's like you have gone, you've broken into pieces. How do you bring it mm. all together and be, make it whole? Mm -hmm. I think it's layers. I feel like this whole narcissistic abuse uh, experience is like an onion, uh, it, you know, from when you get into it on the outside, the narcissist appears charming. He probably is good looking. You know, he's probably well liked most of them. And so that's the outside of the onion. And then as you get deeper, you start to, it's more pungent, you know, <laughs> like things are more, uh, you know, harsh. And so then to heal, it's like the opposite. You're, you're, you might feel broken. I know I felt broken many times when I was with him. And then after I left for the second and final time, and it's, for me, it was recognizing the different layers. So um, because there's just no way, like when someone says to well-meaning to someone coming out of the situation, a domestic violence situation, you know, that they have to love themselves and they are worthy and those kinds of things or do self-care that literally goes in one ear and out the other, because you're not, you're nowhere in that place to be able to get that, to understand that. And for me, speaking of faith, I went to, for me, it's I'm Christian. I went to the Bible and I went to, what does God say about me? Because I've heard plenty of what my ex said about me. And now I don't know. I don't know what I think about myself. And I hear people tell me I'm strong for leaving, but I don't feel strong. Right. I feel broken. So I went to the Bible and I went to, what does he say about me? And that's where I started to peel back the layers or maybe put the layers back together of the onion, which would be me uh, and find my worth. So you, in, in essence, you went into the scriptures to say, I'm worthy of love. God is love. Right. Yes. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So I'm worthy mm -hmm. regardless of what anybody tells me. Yes. Thank yes. You. And it, it meant a lot more to hear it from God than to hear it from anybody else. A lot more. Yeah. Because nothing was in the way. Um, meaning it just felt pure and it felt, it felt like that's who I've always been because that's who he says I am and, and how he created me. And that that was what he has been waiting for me. That might be the right way to say it, but like to step into, or that he's been just, you know, that he's created me to step into that. So it, that in role. essence, for you to accept who you are. Right. Right. So um, how can survivors protect their children and empower themselves to regain their freedom? 
Mm -hmm. So once they're separate or divorced, the, the, one of the number one tips I can give is to stay in reality, which sounds like an obvious tip or most survivors might say, I understand my reality. I'm working three jobs to support my kids. You know, like they get reality. What I mean by that when I say reality is never to go back into denial about who he is and how, quite honestly, in my opinion, the ex-narcissist who has been injured because we left and we took the kids and maybe we exposed them in court, they'll never stop attempting to harm you, attempting to abuse you. It's almost like a game. And so many of the moms that I talk to, we all say it's like they have a playbook because we have so many similarities in, in how the ex tries to continue to harm us, even after the ex may have gotten remarried. You think like people will say to you, well, it'll stop once he gets remarried. And that's likely untrue. So when I say stay in reality as number one tip, it means can never let your guard down with the ex and you can never think he's going to do the right thing or, you know, have the kid's best interest at heart. So that means at least that you are, I don't want to say you're always on guard because that's no way to live, but you are, you just have your feet planted in the reality of the situation. And that can also be heartbreaking because it means you can't just think, well, I'm separated or divorced and now I can heal and everything's all good. Well, it's not when you have to continue to talk to and see your ex abuser and then your kids are being abused by them, right? So I used to think it felt impossible. Like, how can I heal? How can I move on and feel better when my kid is still being actively abused? Hmm. So staying in reality is a huge piece so that you're not knocked off your feet by something he pulls out of nowhere because you should know that that's what he's doing. And that helps you at least stay, sol stay solid as you like, you know, take a step each day forward in healing. That's quite profound. Thank you. So do you think the law favors the rights of survivors of abuse? Not at all. Not at all. Like at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how to say that. No. Um, okay. So why do you say that? What I found is that a very common experience by women who claim abuse to not be believed across the board, across countries. And part of it, I think, is societal because, you know, a lot of times if a woman gets attacked, just in general, like in life, if a woman gets attacked and she comes and says she was attacked, nine times out of 10, people are asking, did, was she drunk? What was she wearing? So there's a societal piece of the woman being the one to blame first before anyone asks, why did he think it was okay to harm her? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a societal thing, I believe. And then number two, most family courts have very minimal training on domestic violence and very minimal, if at all, training on narcissistic abuse or narcissism and how that can how that looks, how it plays out in the families. And when you meet a judge that gets it, it's rare. It's rare. And I had two different experiences in court. I went for a protective order or an order, you know, restraining order yeah. uh, in 2018. And the female judge told me at the end of hearing all of this evidence, some of which was quite evident, like pictures of guns as a threat, 
she said that I wasn't scared enough to order what? the protection. Yes. A year, less than a year later, I was back in court for another order of protection with, with the same proof plus some more proof. And a different judge said 100% multiple instances of family abuse has occurred. So it's sort of like a crapshoot every time you go to court. You never know. Well, I also believe it, it depends on the um, knowledge of the judge. Yes. And yes, if they're not experienced in that area, then they shouldn't be sitting in the family court because they should have yes. both... Um, well, I, I don't want to use the word education, but I believe they should be educated as judges in terms of what an abuse is, what yes. an offense has taken place. Yes. In terms of, okay, this lady has gone through domestic violence. She's got the evidence. She's got the evidential proof. So working with yep. that, I think it should be... Um, an easy case, but like you said, it's not always easy. Right. I believe yeah. um, more judges have been educated in this particular area of law as well. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and see yes. what happens in the near future. So yeah. that leads me to the final question. How can you encourage survivors to, uh, to rise above shadows of abuse? Mm. That's, a great, that's a great final question, by the way. So for me, there is a deep desire to see abuse end with the mom and the, and the kids. So mom, moms and kids who have left abusive situations, to me, that is how we can break the cycle of abuse is for the mom to heal and help the kids heal and help the kids understand what they're dealing with. So <clears throat> rising above the shadow of abuse requires <clears throat> that the mom get healing or find healing. And that it's like a daily thing, as you know, it's not like, you know, one and done take years. And then also for me, I think a, a key thing is for the mom. And again, I'm using mom in this situation, but for the mom to make sure that the kids understand what they're dealing with in their dad. And that comes sometimes with, pushback from moms because the moms as I did too want to shelter their kids to the point that they don't understand who they're dealing with in their father and so for me to rise above the shadow of abuse is to stop keeping it secret and that includes with their kids and so for me my daughter knows clearly who her father is and that didn't come from me just telling her everything that came from her experience and uh, and talking to me about it and helping to explain what things were as they came up. And she is clear about not only who he is, but how he operates. And again, a lot of that came from her recognizing this doesn't feel right. And then asking me, what does this mean? Or this didn't feel right when he said this, you know, did you ever have this? Like a lot of, and it's an odd place for a mom and a, and a child to like have these, yeah, that happened to me too. When you're talking about domestic violence, it's a weird <laughs> commiseration, yeah. but at the same time, then she knows she's not alone. She knows that she's not alone. You're quite right with uh, what you've just explained. Cause what happened is when it happened to me, 
it was also playing out to the children. So like when they're asking for something and they say, oh, go back to your mom. She's got the finances. She should be able to do this. And then now mm -hmm. say, oh, this was what mom was talking about. No, it's not okay. You know, different situation, different um, scenarios played out. And yes. because they're getting, they were much older, they were able to kind of process this and understand how to even handle him when they're with him. Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, um, Vicky, for your time. And if people need to get in touch or contact with you, can you tell all them how to get hold of you or how to get in touch, please? Yes, yes. So thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed talking with you. You will. And uh, uh, so uh, they can get in touch with me at thesurvivorcenter.com. That's my website. Okay. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's episode, kindly subscribe, comment, and leave a review. Thank you and see you on the next episode. For more Rising Above Shadows of Abuse news, head to our Instagram.com page or YouTube.com page forward slash Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. And our email address is Rising Above Shadows of Abuse at gmail.com to interact with us. See you soon. Rising Above Shadows of Abuse podcast with Grace of